0: Okay, we're going to be in Daniel chapter number six this morning. <coughs> Had everybody a little bit thrown off on Wednesday. We went to Daniel chapter seven on Wednesday night. And I said what we were going to be doing was uh, between chapter six and chapter seven is kind of a, a division in Daniel. You go between the more historic portion of the, the book and the prophetic portion. And so we'll be moving the, the last half of the book of Daniel to Wednesday night. And be going a different direction with our Sunday school hour, uh, but today we're going to hopefully be finishing up uh, this first portion of Daniel with chapter number six. Uh, last week, what we were looking at was uh, Belshazzar, the last king of uh, Babylon, and we saw where he was throwing a drunken party for all of his uh, all of his fellow leaders and the officers of his kingdom and the the different uh, People there, and he was throwing that party as the enemy was knocking on the gates outside. And so, in a way, it was in his arrogance and his pride that he thought he was invincible. He thought that there was no way that they were going to be able to overcome him, even though uh, Daniel knew full well the prophecies that uh, Darius was going to come uh, and was going to overrun the city. And so anyway, in his pride and his arrogance, they were drinking to all of the, uh, all of the false gods and all of the idols. And they went and got the, uh, the sacred vessels from the temple at Jerusalem that God had sent to Babylon for safekeeping until the Jews came out of exile. And so they went and they got those uh, vessels and was drinking wine out of them. They were supposed to be for the priests of uh, the temple, the priests of God, and uh, the king and the common people and the, uh, his wives and concubines and all those were drinking out of those vessels and were praising the gods of silver and of gold and all these other things, and they were making a mockery of God. Uh, ne- uh, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar, the grandfather of Belshazzar, uh, had acknowledged God, knew who God was. I believe he was a saved man, but his grandson, Belshazzar, was a fool he didn't uh, receive the knowledge that God had given to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't learn from his uh, didn't learn from his elders, so to speak, there. And because of that and his foolishness, we find that he was mocking the living God. And God saw fit to uh, cause a hand to appear and write on a wall and basically spell out his demise. And the writing that appeared on the wall, it caused... Uh, Belshazzar to sober up real quickly, and he tried the same tricks that those before him had tried Nebuchadnezzar and different ones, bringing in the Chaldeans and the soothsayers and all to interpret the writings, and none of them could. The queen rose up and she said, I remember uh, whenever Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get an answer that there was a man named Daniel. And so uh, Belshazzar goes and gets Daniel. Daniel says, yeah, I can interpret the writings. He tells him you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting, and so your kingdom is going to be divided. Uh, you're going to be losing all of these things that God has given you, and you refuse to give him glory for. And so it says that very night, Belshazzar died. The Medes came in, uh, defeated the city. Darius ruled over it, and then we come to chapter number six, and we would have thought that with Daniel being an advisor and being an important part of the government in Babylon, whenever a new government comes in, that he would be uh, imprisoned, would be slaughtered. Isn't that what usually happens? Mm -hmm. Whenever there's a one kingdom takes over another, they have to subdue the ones that they've taken over. They're not going to usually promote them and put them in power. But in chapter number six, in verse number one, it says, It pleased Darius... To set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes may might have excuse me, that the princes might give accounts to them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. <coughs> and the king thought to set him over the whole realm then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against daniel concerning the kingdom but they could not but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful neither was there any error or fault found in him then said these men we shall not find any occasion against this daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his god Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius, signed the writing and the decree. And so as we look at this passage, we find that Daniel has been installed in a portion in a place in the government, in the highest position of the government under the king. And this is in a new kingdom. So if you think about it, Daniel came into uh, Babylon whenever he was a teenager. He decided from a young age that he was going to live by godly principles and live according to God's law, that he was going to be a man of integrity. And because of that, God had protected him. He had prospered him. He had kept him uh, safe all the way through the Babylonian captivity. And then whenever the Persians came and the Medes came, uh, God saw fit to elevate him even over that kingdom. He kept him safe in it. <laughs> Whenever we look at this passage and we think about Daniel and the lions, then uh, how do you usually imagine Daniel? If you had to describe him, what do you see in your mind? What? Okay. What about everybody else? Do you see a young person or an old person? Middle age? Middle-aged person? We probably, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. I know I'm weird, but anyway. Uh, But in my mind, whenever I'm reading through all of the stories and different things in the Bible, I usually have a picture that comes to my mind. It may be influenced by art that I've seen, by movies that I've watched, but generally I have a picture that comes to mind. And I assume most of you all do too. And so usually we imagine Daniel to not be that old. Maybe middle age, maybe younger. Uh, whenever he first came into the kingdom, he would have been younger. Whenever he um, stood before the before King Nebuchadnezzar and interpreted the dream and that kind of thing, Daniel probably would have been middle ages then. Okay, And by the time that uh, the Medes came in and destroyed Babylon, Daniel would have been in his 80s. He would have been an old man at this time. So that kind of changes the story of the lions then a little bit, doesn't it? Mm. I think maybe we make it like Sunday school, make it a little bit more relatable and make him a little younger. I'm not sure, but he would have been probably in his eighties at this time. Uh, Daniel would have lived a good long life. He would have given much, uh, much counsel, much advice, uh, shaped the direction of kingdoms and whatnot. He would have been probably ignored quite a bit because he was advising pagan kings, which would uh, kind of discredit some of uh, the things that he would advise. And so by this time, he would have probably been ready to retire. He would have been ready to just to go somewhere and kind of pull away from all of the responsibilities and all of the things going on in leading a kingdom and just go back and uh, spend his time in his studies and in serving the Lord and uh, just enjoy retirement, Okay. But we see that he keeps getting kind of thrust onto the scene here. Uh, that was the case with Belshazzar. He would have been an old man wherever he came before Belshazzar. Uh, that's one of the reasons why Belshazzar probably didn't know him. Because he had kind of went into a semi-retired state, and Belshazzar was a, a foolish king also. He didn't really probably seek after godly leadership or godly advisors. But Daniel would have been kind of uh, trying to pull away just a little bit. But he comes to Darius... And it says that whenever Darius took over the kingdom, that he decided to insulate himself a little bit. Although he was a king, he wanted to have a lot of cushion between him and the problems. He wanted a lot of advisors and a lot of uh, uh, authorities between him and all of the problems that he was going to be dealing with. Whenever we think of kings, we think of absolute power, absolute monarchies, right? They come in and what they say goes. They rule on everything, right? But Darius, this is actually the last thing he did, he said, the kingdom is way too big, the empire is way too big, so I'm going to divide this up, I'm going to have 120 princes that is going to be over all of the provinces, they're going to answer to these three presidents, those presidents, the leader of them is going to be Daniel, and then Daniel is going to come and answer to me, and I can just enjoy being the king, and I'll let them rule the nation. That was pretty smart for the most part, wasn't it? And so I think that's a good idea, delegating leadership, having that kind of thing going on. But I want to bring the attention back here to Daniel. So Daniel was an old man. He had gotten where he was at by living a godly life. Uh, In the world we live in today, it's not thought that a person who lives by principles, who lives a godly life, who puts God first, is going to succeed. Isn't that what the world would teach us? That you have to lie and cheat to get ahead. You have to make things happen. That you can't live by... Uh, godly principles and honesty and integrity and get by, but Daniel is a very good example that that is a lie. If there was anywhere that this would not work, it would have been in Babylon and in Persia. Uh, in, those, in those kingdoms, uh, dishonesty and cheating and conniving, that would be normal. That would be commonplace. These 120 princes, one of the reasons why they were mad at Daniel is because this would have been an opportunity for them to enrich themselves, okay? Uh, just imagine the government here, if you will, with all of the ministers and all of the the different representatives that are within government. How many of them go into office with uh, maybe a normal standard of living, maybe a normal uh, wealth, and then they come out, and all of a sudden, for some reason, They've got a lot of money. Isn't that what happens? I know that's what happens in the United States. You'll have someone who's elected to office, and they're getting a reasonable paycheck for being a government representative, but somehow, whenever they come out of that position, now they are a millionaire and they've got multiple properties and all these different... Where does that come from? Well, governments are notorious for being corrupt and for being places where people can get... uh, can heap to themselves wealth. This is what would have been going on. This would have been common practice back in Daniel's day. But Daniel decided not to play their games and not to play by their rules, and he decided to deal honestly. And this is what caught Darius's attention, I believe, because as he was looking at all of these politicians below him, he knew they couldn't be trusted, that they were looking out for number one, that if they got a chance, they would probably... Uh, sell him out. And then he saw Daniel, and Daniel was at a stark contrast to everyone else that was there. And so how is it that he was able to get in the position that he was? Well, he was different, right? And so in the sea of people that Darius was looking at, they were all a bunch of lying and conniving and corrupt politicians, but Daniel was different. The saying has been the cream rises to the top. That was what happened with Daniel. And so Darius saw his wisdom. We can compare Daniel to uh, to Joseph back in uh, back in Genesis. That Joseph, he was the one that ended up coming, and he stood before uh, Pharaoh. He advised him and said, "There's going to be a famine that's coming in the land. You need to find someone who is able uh, to oversee things. Someone who has wisdom and knowledge in them that is able to help get the country prepared before this problem comes along. And Pharaoh looks at Joseph and he says, "Is there anyone as wise, anyone as capable as what you are?" He could see the wisdom of God in Joseph, and I believe Darius could see the wisdom of God in Daniel. And so it does—it does prosper to do right. It does work to do right. And I'm not going to say that just because that we are Christians and we live by godly principles that everything is going to turn up sunshine and rainbows, okay? But here's the thing. If we trust God and his principles in the way that we live, or the way we conduct ourselves, the way we do our jobs, the way that we uh, keep up with our finances and pay our bills, and the way that we manage our businesses and stuff, if we do that by godly principles, it doesn't guarantee that everyone's going to like us. It doesn't guarantee you're going to have a promotion at work. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a pay increase. But it does guarantee that God is going to take care of you. See, our income and all these different things aren't dependent on our job or on the people that are around us. The world says we've got to play by the world's rules so that we can advance and so that we can have what we need. But if we do things by God's rules, if we do things according to the way that God has set out, then God will see to it that we are taken care of. The Bible tells us to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And Daniel is a golden example of that, because he honestly did seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, and God saw to it that Daniel was taken care of. Now, as we're talking about Daniel being taken care of, we know the rest of the story, Right? We know that he went into the lion's den. Just because Daniel had lived right for 80-some years doesn't mean that he's going to stay out of every trouble, but that God is going to preserve him through the troubles, right? And so we see these principles that we need to apply to our lives. We need to take these and make them our own and know this is the way that God works. Daniel wasn't necessarily a a one-of-a-kind. He wasn't necessarily the outlier in this in that God only did this for him. He may be the one of a kind or the outlier outlier because everyone else was compromising, everybody else was blending in in Babylon and in Persia and he was the one that was sticking out. But he's not the outlier in that God will do the same thing for each of us that he did for Daniel if we will live like Daniel did. Does that make sense? If we take the principles of God's word and say, they may not be popular, they may not be the way that the world works, but this is what God wants for me. This is what Christ would do. This is how he desires me to live, the principles he wants me to live by. So I'm going to live by them, even if it makes me strange, even if it makes me stick out a little bit, even if it's not the way that things are normally done, I'm going to live by these principles, and God will see to it that I'm taken care of. Okay, And so anyway, we better continue on if we're going to cover this chapter today. Um, and so he arose to the position of being the head over the three presidents. He was second in command over the entire country. It says that um, in verse number two, that the king should, or no, not verse number two, verse number three, the king thought to set him over the whole realm. And so the idea was that he was going to promote Daniel to being his vice regent, his co-leader. Remember last week we were talking about Belshazzar uh, saying that Daniel would be the third in command in, in Babylon because Belshazzar was co-regent with his dad, uh, Nabonidus. And so this King Darius was going to bring Daniel up to that position of being co-ruler, co-regent with him. And, Imagine all of the other people in Darius' kingdom. Many of them would have been Medes and Persians, seeing a Jew, an outsider, an old man, being promoted to this position over all the kingdom, above all of them. And not just that he was an outsider and a Jew and an old man, but one that operated by different principles, one that wouldn't let them get by with their crookedness and with all of the corruption that was going on, one that kept a firm handle on the way things that were going, so that King Darius, it says there in verse number two, should have no damage. And so they're looking at this and they say, as long as Daniel's in charge, we can't line our nests. As long as Daniel's in charge, we're not free to run this country the way that we want it to be run. Daniel is in the way. He's got different ideas. He's got different customs. He doesn't do things the way that we think they should be done. We need to get rid of Daniel. And so even though God is prospering him and he has chosen to take a stand and dwell by principles, just like we've seen in times past with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and different times, we find that there's going to be people who aren't going to like it. We're going to make enemies. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are, there are going to be people who don't like you. Think about Jesus, right? Jesus went about doing good. He healed the lame. He caused the blind to see. He fed multitudes. He preached messages such as the Sermon on the Mount. He gave us uh, principles such as uh, the golden rule. We all know what it is, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the Jesus that they hated so bad that they crucified him. They despised him because he was good, and this is what happened to Daniel. And so anyway, in verse 4 it says, the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel. Daniel had a lifetime of history and of records. They were combing through and seeing how he functioned In Babylon seeing all the things that he had done and the decisions that he had made and the way that he lived his life they probably went down to uh, the record houses there in Babylon and said did he pay his taxes was there ever even a parking ticket against it I know they didn't have cars but they were combing through all of his history and saying can we find any dirt on him isn't that what they still do with politicians I will say this, if a Christian ever wants to run for a political office, they better make sure they have a squeaky clean record. Because if you don't, they will find any skeletons in your closet. Uh, If you follow American politics over the past several elections, it's been especially bad. And so they're going back and finding things that people did in high school. These guys are like in their 60s and 70s now. They're saying, was there even a disciplinary action against them while they were in school? I'm like, wait a minute. That's a bit ridiculous, right? Is there any accusations that's ever been brought against them? There was the one guy that a woman made accusations against him about uh, something that had happened at a party during college. And we're talking about a man who's got grown children now, but they're bringing this up, trying to bring dirt against This is what they were doing to Daniel. And it says they combed through everything. They looked at everything that, about his life. They followed him around. They noticed his routines, his day-to-day activities. They combed through all of his records. And it says that they could find nothing. And so what they ended up coming to the cl- conclusion of, verse 5, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against uh, Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. There's no way we're going to be able To get Daniel in trouble, we're not going to find him doing anything wrong unless we make right wrong. That was the conclusion they came to. Unless we make it illegal to do right, we're not going to find anything against Daniel. And so they said he is devoted to his God, so what can we do that would make his actions illegal? And so as they were observing him every day, they said, man, like clockwork, every single day we find that he is going up to his room, he is throwing his curtains and his windows open, he is facing toward Jerusalem, and he is praying to his God. You can turn to, uh, I'm not going to turn there for right now, but you can write down if you want to. In Exodus chapter 23 and verse number two, God makes a promise to the to Solomon. Excuse me, actually, I might have the wrong I think that's First Kings eight, but anyway, God makes a promise to Solomon. He says, "Whenever, if any time that you are carried away captive, and you're in a foreign land, then turn your eyes toward Jerusalem, toward my temple, and pray for God to deliver." Okay, that was First Kings chapter eight. I had the wrong uh, note there, but anyway, and so this was what God had told Solomon. Whenever Solomon dedicated the temple, he said, "You built this temple, if." You're ever away from here and you're being uh, being persecuted or you're being uh, held in captivity. Pray toward this temple at Jerusalem. I will hear your prayers. And so this is what Daniel was doing three times a day, every day. And they said, OK, we know Daniel is a man of integrity and he is a man of faith. And it doesn't matter what we do. He's going to still or he's still going to serve his God." And so they come up with this idea, and verse number six says that they assembled together. And what we're going to find in this, we're going to find that even kings are subject to peer pressure. Okay? And so they assembled together. They got the whole group together, except for Daniel, of course. And they said, what we're going to do to get rid of Daniel is we're going to make it illegal to pray or to ask a petition of any man but the king. Okay? And then whenever we see Daniel pray, we're going to say, We caught him, we'll throw him to the den of lions, they'll eat him up, and he'll be out of our way. And so that was their plan. They presented to Darius, they come to him with all kinds of honors and flatteries and everything, and they say, Darius, we came up with this great idea. You've been conquering these kingdoms and you've been doing all these things. And we know you want everyone to be unified, and we found this great idea to unify your kingdom. And so for 30 days, we're going to make it to where no man can ask or petition any god, any man, beside you for 30 days. And so the focus is going to be on you. You are going to be revered as a god for these 30 days. And Darius being the human that he was and prone to arrogance and pride, said, hey, I like the sound of that. Not only was he liking it because of that, they said, all of us are in agreement. And now that's something that's incredibly difficult to do because get that big of a group of people together, they're never going to be in agreement, especially a bunch of politicians. They're always going to be arguing. But they came and they said, we're all in agreement on this. We all think this is a wonderful idea. We are your greatest advisors, and we are uh, wanting to see you succeed. We're wanting to see you lifted up. We're wanting to see the kingdom to be united. And so this is a great idea, and we want you to sign this into law right now so that all of these great benefits will come about from this. And Darius doesn't take any time to think this through because common sense would have told him this was foolish. He doesn't take any time to think this through. They've already uh, played him like a fiddle, as they say, got his pride involved and got all these other things going, working against him. And so he says, hey, that sounds like a great idea. I will sign off on that. Now, just a side note here, in the, the land of the Medes and the Persians, they didn't operate like Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar, whatever he said, goes. And he can be fickle. He can be changeable. He could say one thing one day, another thing the other day. It didn't matter. But the Medes and the Persians, their king was, for one, he was revered as a god, and a god cannot be constantly changing. But the other thing was, is they were bound by their laws. And so whatever he said, whatever Darius said, Rights or signs into law cannot be changed. We find that later on in the book of Esther, this is under the same group, the Medes and the Persians. That whenever he has been um, fooled by Haman into uh, ordering the execution of all of the Jews, whenever he executes Haman and he realizes this plot and he sees everything is a mess, then Esther and Mordecai say, "You need to undo this because the Jews' lives are still in danger." And he says. I can't do anything about it. And so what do Esther and Mordecai do? They write another law that is going to undo the first one. Not undo it, but it's going to nullify it. It's going to make it worthless. Okay? And so that's what they had to do was like uh, giving one law to undo the other one because they couldn't just undo it. And so anyway, Darius signs this decree. And did you all catch what the decree was? What was the decree? What was it that he just signed? Well, it was kind of supposed to be Daniel's death sentence. But what did the decree actually say? Was it to worship? Yeah. Whosoever shall ask a petition... Of any God or man for 30 days. If anyone should ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, can you see anywhere where there's a problem with that? How often do you ask for things? If you carry this out to its logical end, that would mean that a child couldn't even ask something of their own father, right? To ask a petition, you want something from that person. How many times a day do you ask a petition of someone? Lydia, could you help me with Melody for a little bit? That's a petition, right? That's an example. That's a petition that I'd be asking of her. Wait a second. I'm not allowed to ask a petition of anyone besides the king for 30 days. Now, on top of that, does the king have the ability, does he have the capacity to be able to answer every question and every petition of every man? He has already put this hierarchy in of 120 princes and three presidents and all of this insulation between him and the people of his kingdom, right? Saying, I can't deal with all of this. I've got all these other people to deal with it. And then he's dumb enough to sign in a law that says, no one can ask a petition of any God or man except for me for 30 days. Essentially, you would be throwing every person in the kingdom to the lions if you followed that law by the letter. Were they not asking a petition of the king whenever they had him sign this? That would have been legal, wouldn't it? Because it was a petition of the king. But what about any other questions? that you may, It wasn't just a question, but asking someone for something or to do something. Everyone would be doing that, right? You couldn't even go to the shops because you couldn't ask for help. You couldn't ask a question. Where is this? Where is it? Because you were supposed to ask the petitions only of the king. The reason I'm kind of stressing this is just a brief view of this law. Just a little bit of thought and rationality in this. The king should have seen that this was stupid, right? Y'all get that? The king should have seen that this was stupid. But he was blinded. What was it that blinded him? His pride blinded him. Not just his pride, but also, and this is something that played into his pride, also the pressure of all these people. The crowds are coming in. They're praising me. They're all unified. They all think this is good, so I'm going to go along with it. And that's dangerous, isn't it? I've talked about this before, but it's not just kids that are subject to peer pressure. It's not just kids that subject to peer pressure. Adults are as well, and even a king is subject to peer pressure. And so a lot of times as we're reading through Daniel and as we're looking at these chapters, we are relating ourselves to Daniel, right? Am I the only one guilty of this? I'm looking at this and I'm learning from Daniel. But we also need to learn from Darius. We don't like to put ourselves in his position, do we? The foolish king? But are we not prone to make the same mistakes that Darius did? Whenever people come to us and they have these great ideas that may puff up our pride a little bit, they may play into our hopes, into our desires, they may encourage us to do things that aren't smart, that aren't quite right, that if we would sit down and think about it for just a little bit, we would realize it wasn't a good idea, but because of the people who are coming, the way that things are presented, the way we're being manipulated, we give into it, right? It goes back to the the old adage, the old cliche that every parent has told their children, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Depends on how high the bridge is, right? If they jumped off a building, would you jump off too? That was a short one, right? But this is the thing is that they came to... Darius and they said, Everyone's in agreement on this, and you need to get on board with it too. And Darius said, Okay, I'll go along. And he did it to his own harm, to his own hurt. You notice the lie that they told in verse number seven? All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute. That word all means all, right? you think they consulted with Daniel? No, they intentionally left him out of this, didn't they? And considering that he was the greatest of his advisors, the most trusted of his advisors, it would have only been smart had Darius said, hold on for a second. I need an opinion of a godly and a trustworthy counselor before I make this decision. This seems to be a rather big thing. I need somebody else's opinion on this matter. Let me check with Daniel first. No, he didn't do that. He listened to the crowds. Whenever we look at uh, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, you remember him? Rehoboam ended up being the king after Solomon died, and uh, the people came to him and said, make our yoke lighter. The taxes under Solomon were heavy. He had all these building projects and stuff going on. Yes, he made our kingdom beautiful, and uh, we've enjoyed peace under him, but the taxes have been heavy. Would you just lighten our load a little bit? Will you just roll back the taxes just a little bit? And so he went to the godly advisors and the aged men and the people with experience, and he was advised, if you just will do what they have asked you to do, then you'll be endeared to them. They will love you. They will serve you faithfully. You'll be a ruler of the people. He says, wait, I don't really like the sound of that. I don't want to be just a ruler of the people. I don't want to be brought down to their level. And so he goes and asks his buddies, the ones that was the same age and had the same experience and the same goals and desires. And he says, this is what they're asking me. And they said, wait a minute, aren't you the king? Who are they to tell you what to do? You go and tell them I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm the king. And they responded by saying, you're not our king, right? He fell for foolish counsel. And so this is what happened to Darius. He fell for this foolish counsel. He signed this uh, unreasonable decree And then we find that afterward he becomes the fool because he realizes that he's been duped. He realizes what their game was all along. And so he signs it in verse number 9, verse number 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so no question Daniel knew, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber— Uh, toward Jerusalem, he kneeled down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. So he knew what the decree was. He knew that it was a law, but he knew that it was an unjust law. Remember we've talked about before when is right to rebel against the law? Because we know that governments are corrupt. We don't have godly governments in place. And there are going to be laws that they pass that are going to go against the word of God. But I think a lot of times we are fishing. We're trying to find things wrong with it and trying to find things to be offended by. And we found that Daniel, all the way through, he has sought to obey all of the just laws, all of the ones that were right, and tried to reconcile the laws of the land with his faith in God all the way through, even living in pagan lands. Remember whenever he was uh, first brought into Babylon and they set before him the king's meat, and he says, wait a second, this meat was offered to idols, this meat was unclean animals, these were things that he wasn't to eat according to the law of God, and he first petitioned and said, can I be excluded from this? Is there a way that there can be an exemption for me because this violates my beliefs? And they granted him an exemption, right? Right. He didn't try to stir up strife. He didn't come and march through the city. He just went about doing what was right the right way. And so we come down to this law, and it's clear that he's not going to be granted an exemption. He knows what's up. He knows what's going on. And so whenever there was a law that was intentionally against God, he says, I'm going to obey God rather than men. We find that in the New Testament, right, where they say, You're no longer to preach the gospel. You're no longer to go and uh, be holding religious services and whatnot. They said whether it's right to obey God or men, you decide, right? And so they kept on doing it. This is where we find Daniel here. This is where he draws the line. And so he continues doing what he has always done because it is right. Okay? And notice here he didn't start doing this whenever the law was made. They didn't make something illegal, and then he just intentionally started doing it just to break the law. I think there's some people that wouldn't go to church unless the government made it illegal. Then they'd show up just so they could protest and make a fuss, right? We had all this mess with COVID not too long ago, right? And there were people who didn't care a thing about church. They would miss for any reason coming and going until the government said they couldn't meet, and then they were protesting it. That wasn't what Daniel was doing. He says, I'm just going to quietly continue doing that which is right. And so notice at the very end of verse number 10, it says, as he did aforetime. This is what he was in the habit of doing. Now, just a thought here I want to bring out real quick here. I'm not going to uh, belabor it very long. But one of the reasons I believe possibly that there was this regulation for him not to pray to God for 30 days, would be not necessarily out of their, uh, their creation, their ability, their intellect, but maybe a little bit more spiritual, maybe a little bit more satanic. And what I mean by this is that Daniel was in a habit, a good habit. Okay? This was something that he had formed in his life, this was something that he had decided to do to keep him close to God, in tune with God, and he had good spiritual disciplines, right? What if we can interrupt that for 30 days? What happens to you spiritually if the world or if the devil can keep you away from good spiritual disciplines for 30 days? What if your schedule can be uh, uprooted for 30 days, What happens to your spiritual disciplines? They can be undone, right? There is a thought out there that habits are made and broken in 30 days. You ever heard that? Habits are made or broken in 30 days. If you want to set a good habit in place, do it for 30 days. Bible reading, daily prayer, determine for 30 days I'm going to do this. And then after 30 days you continue doing it and continue doing it. Habits are formed or broken in 30 days. Likewise, if you have a bad habit you want to break, if you can faithfully for 30 days stay away from that bad habit, you have a good chance that you're going to continue staying away from it. Now, this isn't a rule written in stone or anything, but it is a good principle to go by. And so I believe part of it may have just been to get people, especially Daniel, out of good, godly, habits. But Daniel determined, he purposed in his heart, I'm going to continue doing the things that I've always done because they are important to my spiritual walk, my spiritual health. This is one thing I believe the devil will try his best to do everything he can to keep you from doing things that are good for your walk with God. Have you ever noticed that a lot of times The day can be completely quiet until you try to sit down with your Bible or you try to spend some time in prayer. And then all of a sudden the phone's ringing, uh, people are knocking at the door, the kids are fussing, there's all kinds of stuff. Whenever you decide to spend some time with God, everything will start going wrong because the devil does not want you forming those good habits and cultivating spiritual health. Okay, So that was just a side note here about this whole idea of this 30 days And so Daniel continued doing what he had always done. In verse 11, it says, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. I figure they probably found him the first time they were just waiting for him. This was a trap after all, wasn't it? So this is like day number one. And they're going to go to the king and say, The the ink isn't even dry on this law, and Daniel has already broken it. The king doesn't say, Well, why were you spying on Daniel? I mean, that would have been wise for him to do, right? But they go and they report him to the king and say, you know, king, what you said, you said if anyone prays to anyone besides you, they've got to be cast into the den of lions. And it was about that time that Darius realized what this entire thing was about, and that was a trap. So a huge truth for us to learn from this Daniel, all along, for 80-some years, had a walk with God, had these uh, Christian disciplines in place. He was living it every day before the trial came. And so the reason I bring this out is if you're going to face the trials, if you're going to go through the fire, if you're going to take a stand for God and go into the lion's den and not get eaten. If you're going to get through into the fire and not get burnt, it has to start before the decree is issued. It has to begin long before the enemy rears his head. It has to begin long in advance, because if you wait till trials come to seek after God, you will be devoured. But Daniel had a walk with God, an intentional a continual walk with God, and whenever the trials came, God took him through it, okay? And so we can't, as Christians, we can't use God like a spare tire. We can't use him like a get-out-of-jail-free car. You ever play Monopoly? We can't wait until we need him before we seek after him, because the truth is we need him every day. We find that the Bible tells us without him we can do nothing. And so Daniel was constantly walking with him, constantly dependent upon him. And so whenever he went through his life and he looked back over his 80-some years, he says, God has been with me every step of the way. He'll be with me in the lion's den. So I can keep on praying, and even if they throw me to the lion's den, God's got it under control. And so anyway... They come to the king, and they say, Hast thou not signed a decree? They knew the answer, right? Didn't you sign a decree that said, If anyone prayed to anyone besides you, they'd get cast into the lion's den? And the king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. He says, I signed it, and I can't go back on it. I can't change it. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah. They specifically bring out his nationality. By the way, anti-Semitism is not a new thing. That's been around as long as there's been a Semite, right? As long as there's been a Jew. That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, remember, he was their boss, he was the one that was over them. They have no respect for him. He regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree which thou assign, but maketh his petition three times a day. Look at how he's flaunting your laws. Look at how he has no respect for you. Look at the things that Daniel's doing. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. He wasn't displeased with Daniel. He was displeased with himself. He said, I have been foolish. I've been stupid. So he was sore displeased with himself, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. So he tried everything that he could. He went through every law. He combed through looking for loopholes, and he could find none all the way till the going down of the sun. And then, just for the sake of time, his advisors, he, these counselors, these ones who had fooled him, came to him and said, Oh, king, you're not keeping the law that you've written. The law says Daniel needs to be threw into the lion's den the same day. And I see the sun going down over there. And the king relents and he says, I have no choice. My hands are tied. How, good, how much good would it be to be a king in those circumstances? Be much of a king, would it? He said, my hands are tied, and so he gets Daniel. He's probably apologizing to him a long time. I've been tricked. These guys have done this to me. I don't want to throw you in. You've been my best advisor, but I'm stuck. You've broken the law. Why couldn't you have just closed your curtains? Why couldn't you have just let it go for 30 days? Why couldn't you just have done something different? Because now I'm stuck. Now, he may not have said that, but you know how people are, right? It was Daniel's fault because Darius did something stupid. Daniel could have said, well, Darius, why didn't you consult with me? Why did you listen to these bunch of idiots? But I don't believe Daniel did that. I think he's a little bit more godly than that. And so anyway, we find that Darius says in verse number um, 16, Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, thy God who now servest continually. He will deliver thee. Ever the optimist, right? I've done something stupid. You're getting ready to pay the price. Surely your God's going to deliver you. And so that makes him really sound like he's pretty confident in Daniel's God, right? But then what is his response afterward? Daniel goes into the lions, then they roll the stone over the hole there. He refuses to be comforted. He refuses to sleep. He refuses instruments of music. He refuses food. He spends the night fasting and grieving, maybe even attempting to pray. I don't know. Hoping that something happens to Daniel. Something good happens to Daniel. This would be a little uncharacteristic of a king that thought that he was worthy of being prayed to as a god, right? Spending the night fasting and mourning and whatnot. Verse 18, the the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. And so this one who has done Daniel wrong is now troubled because of it. Do you think that God... Whenever he says vengeance is mine, I will repay. Do you not think that God is able to trouble your enemies, that he is able to work in their minds and their hearts, that he is much better suited, much better equipped to handle them than what we are? And I believe that Daniel, while he was in Lion's Den, he probably had the best sleep that he'd had in a while. He probably cuddled up to the next to one of those things. It put its paw around him, and he pulled its, its fur up around him, and he's probably there, and the thing was purring in his ear, and he just slept through the night. Now, that's not the Bible. I'm just putting that in there. <laughs> probably the best sleep he'd ever had, but Darius couldn't sleep. And so, verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, you got to give him credit, at least he tried. He was thinking, okay, Daniel is gone. There's probably not even a bone left of him but I'm at least going to go and see. I've got to to see this thing through. Then the king rose very early in the morning, went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Now there's a big change between verse 16 and verse 20, isn't there? He will deliver you. Is God able? <laughs> right? Is that God whom thou will service continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And then he's probably just not expecting anything. And Daniel wakes up, stretches himself. Pets his kitty. Verse 21, Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Now, that would have been a surprise, wouldn't it? And he is quick to give God praise. He says, My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den And no manner of hurt was found on him because he believed his God. And so Daniel gives God the glory, and he says the reason why I was not hurt. Did you catch what the reason was? He gives three things. He says, I have done you no wrong. I have not sinned against my God. And because he believed in his God, he says, my faith and my obedience to God caused God to see me through this. So do you want to know how to get through the trials? How to go through the lion's den without getting eaten? Live a life of obedience to God, following his word and following his way, and trust him no matter what comes along. And if you do that, God's going to take care of you. If you live for self, if you go against his word, if you're doing others wrong in your life, if your life is not one of faith, if you're not seeking after him and desiring his will and desiring to serve him, and trials come your way, you're on your own, right? God says, Hey, you wanted nothing to do with me until you got to the lion's den? Right. And so anyway, he says, I believed my God, I have done thee no hurt, and Innocency was found in me, so I have not been harmed. And so verse 24 the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lions had mastery of them, and broke all their bones and pieces wherever they came at the bottom of the den. Some have said, The reason why the lions didn't eat Daniel was because they weren't hungry. It's not what verse 24 says. There's a lot more than just Daniel threw in there. None of them even made it to the floor of the lion's den before they were dead. Did you see that? But not only that, all these ones that were seeking Daniel's destruction, God saw to it that they got their just deserts. Once again, God says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Leave it up to God. Let him take care of your enemies. Another thing on this, whenever we stand against God, whenever we do things contrary to his word, it doesn't just affect us. Notice that even their wives and children were cast into the lion's den. No man lives unto himself. No man dies unto himself. Uh, we find that our sins do affect others around us, and there is them. So the final thing here, I'm out of time, but we see the decree of Darius here starting in verse number 25. The king Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, <clears throat> excuse me, and steadfast forever. And his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And his dominion shall even uh, shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so we find at the end of this a pagan giving God the glory. Why did God call Abraham and the children of Abraham the nation of Israel? Why did he choose them? Why did he call them? To be a witness, witness, right? He says, I have chosen you and your family to declare me unto this world, right? Well, God loves the world. But God chose Abraham and his descendants first and foremost to have a lineage to bring Jesus Christ to this earth, but also to proclaim God and his goodness to the entire earth. And here we find that the children of Israel Rejected their God, did not give him glory, got carried away into captivity, and now we find Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, and we find Darius, a pagan, proclaiming and giving God glory to the world, doing what God's people refused to do. In that, in a way, we can kind of see a foreshadowing of the church. Because we find that this is the job of the church, is to proclaim the gospel unto every creature, right? And the church has been primarily Gentile in its existence, hasn't it? And so it is doing the job that originally the Jews were to do. Not saying that we've replaced the Jews, but just like Darius in Daniel's day proclaimed to all of the realm, all of his kingdom, all of the world, and glorified the God of Daniel. We're here today to glorify and to proclaim the God who saves, right? And so in all of this, there's a lot more that we could go into, a lot more that we could learn here. But because Daniel lived a righteous life, a godly life, it had an impact. It prospered him and it protected him, but it also caused God to be glorified. It caused the pagans and the lost to get a glimpse at least, to get an understanding of who God was. And if we are to be a light, a witness, a testimony in this world, it's going to take us living it before anyone's ever going to want to listen to what we have to say. Okay? And so we see how powerful a witness that a godly life is in this passage. So, With that being said, I better wrap it up. Do we have any questions or comments or anything to add to this this morning? As I said earlier, we're going to be, Lord willing, we'll be jumping to something else next week for this service. Uh, And then on Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking at the prophetic section of the book of Daniel. And... uh, started that last Wednesday, and so anyway, that's where we're going from here, and if there's no other questions, we'll go ahead and we'll uh, go, Lord, in prayer, take a short break, and jump back in our second service. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. We just thank you so much, Lord, for these uh, examples and these principles we find in your word. Thank you, Lord, for men like Daniel that show the power and uh, all of living a godly life, the effects of it all. And Lord, that encourages us that uh, we really can uh, we really can prosper. We really can get by with your principles and with doing things your way. Lord, we just thank you for being so good. We ask you just be with the rest of our service. And Lord, uh, thank you for, for just everything you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.